and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod Welk. And I'm Annie Kriegbaum. Your mom is coming today. You want to quote unquote fly through this episode today so you can get on to like lollygagging or whatever you gals are going to do. So shall we just skip the banter even and just get right to top stories? Well, do you have anything you want to say? Oh, I have a couple things I want to say. Number one, so after we did the Peloton episode, Peloton lent me a bike because I'd never done it before. Oh, very interesting. After. There was no promise of bike before we reported on Peloton. I'm saying mm-hmm. after they lent me a bike. Where was I in this email chain? You know what? I took you off CC. Yeah, it sounds like you did. <laughs> to spare my inbox, right? <laughs> yeah, to spare. Yeah, I took you off, CC to spare your inbox. Cody Rigsby is a literal national treasure. There are times when I'm on Peloton and I am, I don't want to say like cackling because it sounds bad, but like in hysterics over what he's talking about. They've somehow managed to create a community like within the bike. Say there was a soft services ride, like you guys could all have a hashtag so you could keep track of the people that were in the soft services ride. There is literally no need for Soul Cycle. Think about how annoying it is to have to spend an hour getting to Soul Cycle, going to Soul Cycle, and then an hour like getting home. You can't beat the convenience of it. Even though they had the big snafu with the treadmill recall, I feel like that company is going to be just fine because I'm like I'm amazed and it's not just because they lent me a bicycle. It's really amazing. No, I'm happy for you. <laughs> you don't sound it. <laughs> Cody better be getting a fat check because I feel like the only reason any of us are still talking about Peloton right is now Cody. is Cody. Now he like talks to me in ads in between the Real Housewives episodes. Like he has to be raking it in. I hope so. But he deserves every single dollar. Because not only is he like making jokes and like amazing observations, but he's fucking biking the entire time. That energy is I'm exhausted. I know. Just listening. Uh, What was the second thing you were going to say? The second thing I was going to say is, oh, I'm obsessed with Trisha Paytas, Paytas, Paytas. And this is a little bit of podcast trade news that Trisha Paytas announced that she was leaving her very popular podcast called Frenemies, which she hosts with this guy, Ethan something from something called H3 Productions. I don't even it gets very into the weeds with like old school YouTube communities. Anyway, she and Ethan had a disagreement. Let this be a lesson to us. They had a disagreement about how they were splitting revenue. (laughs) (laughs) Really? The deal Which we do not have to worry about. We do not have to worry about because there is no revenue. But basically what happened is like Ethan had said, okay, I'll take 55% and you'll take 45% and I'm taking another 5% because I pay for the crew and like the production and all that stuff. He said that Trisha wasn't contributing. Trisha Paytas, by the way, for anyone or probably a lot of people who don't know who she is, is a very OG YouTube vlogger who came up with David Dobrik and Jeffree Star and Shane Dawson, that whole crowd. She has been very controversial in her rise to fame. Oh, I should mention that Trisha Paytas uses both the she, her pronouns and the they, them pronouns and identifies as non-binary, which has also, you know, caused some controversy. She's made some anti-Semitic comments 
And but you love her. Anyway, I love her. She's all good in your book. She just is. She's kind of unhinged in a really amusing way. And also, I think it's all a deep troll. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think she means any of it. I think she's trolling us. Anyway, she left the podcast over a disagreement about the equity split. And I just wanted to sort of set up a little news story so that we might have something to think about, something to noodle over when we start getting the big bucks. Yep. When? Not if, when. When? Question mark? When? <laughs> Should we do top stories? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Well, this is the story that we, the, the industry couldn't stop talking about all week, which was that there is a new collaboration in town, and that is one with the Bratz, with a Z, and the makeup brand Makeup Revolution. They, I'm going to guess... I didn't even look at the the article that this is linked to that they did a palette, did they? Listen, the reason I put this top story in here is because this is finally a collaboration that makes sense. People have been saying for a very long time that the current Instagram aesthetic, the makeup that you see on Instagram, the heavy multi-step eye with the heavy cat eye, the lashes, the overlined lips, the highlight, that all of this, they compare it constantly to the look of a Bratz doll. Hmm. And now here we are. So you would think that this was low-hanging fruit, but, and interestingly enough, I, so remember, I wanted to have the founder of Bratz yeah. on the pod. So I looked up who started Bratz. Who? So the founder of Bratz... Her name is Jasmine Larian. Her father is like a toy mogul. Mm. And weird fun fact, she's also the founder of Cult Gaia, which is like an Instagrammy. Yes. Isn't that a weird fact? I know fact? someone who was a designer there. That's so weird. The founder of Cult Gaia, the fashion brand, was also the founder of Bratz. Nick. Oh. I'm glad it, I told you because really the look, I feel like I just kind of threw you through a little loop. Yeah. You wouldn't put really, the two I don't aesthetics. even know what to believe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Also, interestingly enough, the owner of the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tell me about Kylie Baby. Kylie Baby was a huge news story <laughs> that we missed <laughs> last week. So it Kylie was right. Jenner. So sometimes what happens is Nick and I will, what's it called? Put it in the can, the podcast episode. We'll yep. finish recording. We do it Thursday mornings. Thursdays are a huge news day in the beauty industry, apparently, because right after we finish recording, oftentimes some really juicy beauty news will come out. And case in point, Kylie Jenner announced right when we logged off last Thursday in a not-so-cryptic Instagram post, a photo of her daughter Stormy in the bathtub, and she tied Kylie baby. Okay, well, there's probably not a celebrity who I would be less likely to trust with skincare for my baby than Kylie Jenner. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> I feel like with babies, the problem is you don't want them to smell like vanilla, caramel, jasmine. You like want to use like unscented things that are made from like radishes and mushrooms. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to use chemical, chemical... <laughs> Sorry, Nick. Tell me how you don't want to use chemicals. Sorry. Go sorry, on. No, 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 go on. 
You don't want to use like heavily fragranced, colored or any. I just feel like the Kylie baby baby lotion will have a shimmer to it. And I just feel like that's not a good idea for baby skin. That's just my, I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. Check with your pediatrician. But I feel like body bronzer for babies, even though my baby is really pale, is not a good idea. That's not. We should clarify. Kylie has not announced body bronzer specifically for babies. <laughs> there's zero indication that there's going to be any cosmetic product but it, there might be a pearlescent finish i bet this i bet it's going to be like a bubble bath yeah but it's probably going to be like colored pink but i just i don't know i just feel like i trust kylie with a lip kit i trust her with the fragrance even i don't trust her with baby skincare okay let me ask you this would you trust ariana grande with making a cosmetic line because guess what she's also doing it she is no well i listen ariana grande is probably my favorite pop star right now can you explain you you said this to me before what is the fascination with out of all the and i'm not saying that she's not deserving i'm just asking out of all the options well i think the funny thing about ariana grande is that there's not that much interesting stuff going on with her as a person but as a vessel well number one she has a really amazing voice but i think her music is the best And she as a person has never been interesting and never wanted to be interesting or the center of attention. Number one, I appreciate that. And number two, I just I think she has the best producers. She has the best songwriters. Like she's doing the most interesting work, I think. You think that she's like a consummate professional, like Beyonce level. Kind of. You never hear like drama. She doesn't court media. Like she doesn't go out. She seems like very much like a hard worker. She came out with Sweetener and then like a few months later she dropped Thank You Next. The night that Pete Davidson was gonna do a skit where he talked about breaking up with her. Come on. And you say she doesn't court the media. Yeah, but like that Beyonce, remember when she dropped Lemonade? Was it lemon lemonade? Yeah, like in the middle of the night. I just feel like that. Oh, not in the her... middle of the night. Oh, you mean she dropped a, people say like, oh, you dropped something like the Beyonce album where you don't announce you don't, Like it. there's no press coming out about it. That's what I like about her. So I support her and her makeup endeavor. You want to hear another interesting fact that I have for you? Yeah. You know the song where she's like, I bought my extensions. <laughs> I butchered it. What are the lyrics? She's like, <laughs> I want it. I bought it. I got it. I yeah. got it. What's that song? Yeah, it's called Seven Rings. Okay, Seven Rings. So she, I guess, was in the studio working on that. And the producer on the song leaked or like they posted it on social as like the next single. Now, that song samples a very famous song from The Sound of Music. Yeah, My Favorite Things. My Favorite Things. So they didn't have the music rights for that. So guess who got all the money from that song? Julie Andrews. Roger and Hammerstein's estate. Really? Because they didn't work it out beforehand. There was no negotiation. They were like, oh, this song's out there now? Like, cool. You need to pay us. (laughs) That's amazing. In other pop star news, Burt's Bees is being sued that they are being misleading by labeling their dog shampoo as, quote, 99.7% natural because they (laughs) contain mostly synthetic ingredients. So basically the front of the shampoo bottles say that the shampoos have colloidal oat flour and honey, 
But the lawsuit alleges that the product actually contains basically sprinklings of natural ingredients and mostly cocoa, bentine, cocoa, glucoside, basically like all these other synthetic ingredients. So as you would imagine, dog shampoos are not uh, FDA regulated and they're not cosmetics because they're not for human use. So there's really no oversight of the products, but they are being taken to task for saying they're all natural. That's so crazy because I use that shampoo on my dog. Really? Do you think I can get a payout? Yeah, I would just join the class action lawsuit. Here's my question. There is no standard definition for the term natural. Correct. It'll be interesting to see how this shakes out because I think about this all the time. They're saying 99.7% natural ingredients. And like they're, that's factually incorrect because it's mostly synthetic ingredients. No, but my question is, where is the line where something is considered natural versus well, I think, synthetic? I think if they're specifying... If, if natural doesn't mean anything, you know? No, but if you say like a product is natural, that's different than saying 99% natural ingredients, I think. That's misleading. But yeah, there is no, you could say clean, you could say natural, you could say green, things like that. Maybe because they like specified, they like, they put the percentage, a, percentage. a very specific to percentage feel- to be completely yeah. wrong <laughs> yeah. about. That's pretty wild. I don't like it. I wish we had some like money transitional music, like for the money segment. Could we just get like a cash register going ka-ching? Thank you. So Paula's Choice, our favorite, is exploring an IPO. This is exciting. You know what? If Paula's Choice goes public, I'm buying some stock. My money is on Paula's Choice. What's interesting about Paula's Choice is that they just had a partnership with Sephora earlier this year, mm-hmm. and now they're discussing raising about $300 million or more in an IPO. $300 million? What do you think they're going to do with all that money? I don't know. In other IPO news, Honest Company, which had sort of, you know, had like a great IPO, then sputtered a bit as we reported several episodes ago, is now doing pretty well. Their initial public offering price was $16, and now they are trading around $19.17 as of June 10th. And so, listen, Jess Galb is going to be just fine. So we're also learning a little bit about the business behind hyaluronic acid, which is a big business, especially for a entrepreneur in China. Her name is Zhao Yan, and she's a billionaire. 11 times over. 11 times over. And she is the chairwoman of Blumage Biotechnology Corp., which makes about, get this, half of the global supply of hyaluronic acid. That was a shocking statistic to me because I didn't know that most of the hyaluronic acid that is in cosmetic products is coming from basically one corporation. We could have assumed it was China, but she's starting to make her own products in an attempt to make even more money. She has a skincare brand in-house called BioHylux, which has hyaluronic acid creams, masks, gels, And what's crazy is she's now like undercutting her own business in some ways because she's offering these products as much as 60% less than competing products from the people that she's supplying hyaluronic acid to. And this is according to a Bloomberg Business Week article. So plus one for the makers of hyaluronic acid. I think it's time for our interview. 
I was lucky enough to sit down this week, or I guess Zoom, with Bonnie Patton, who's the executive director of truthinadvertising.org or tina.org, which is a watchdog agency, a nonprofit organization that essentially calls out businesses that have deceptive and false marketing and advertising claims. She herself is an attorney. She was a litigator for a long time. And I was curious to speak with her in particular about multi-level marketing businesses within the beauty industry, if you think of Mary Kay Cosmetics or Avon, and more recently, Beauty Counter, which is sort of like the evolution of this model and has sort of evaded slash avoided any kind of criticism for their MLM side of the business, which is essentially when they have people who sell Beauty Counter to their friends, then their friends become salespeople who sell it to their friends, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I wanted to hear what she had to say about MLMs and beauty, and in particular, what she made of Beauty Counter. So here's that interview. Tell me who you are. I know you are Bonnie Patton, but tell me a little bit about what you do and Truth in Advertising. I'm the executive director of Truth in Advertising, or Tina.org, short. We are a small nonprofit consumer advocacy organization that basically works to stop and prevent deceptive advertising. And we focus on advertising in all spheres. So TV, radio, social media platforms. If it's an ad, we want to make sure it's honest. Is there a genre in advertising that you receive the most consumer complaints in? Well, we get a lot of consumer complaints, and I think they (laughs) (laughs) can be put in some buckets. One bucket is the negative option offer. So you see that free trial, get your free supplement, and then next thing you know, your bank account's being charged $100 a month. We get a lot of those complaints. We get a lot in the wellness industry, supplements especially. We also see a lot of complaints with regard to the multi-level marketing industry. That is why I was interested to chat with you because Annie and I have talked for a while on and off the podcast about whether it's Beauty Counter, which is the most recent example or sort of reincarnation of the multi-level marketing organization, but all the way back to Avon and Mary Kay. I just know that there's a lot of MLM businesses in the beauty industry. Firstly, what is an MLM? What defines an MLM? MLM stands for multi-level marketing. And basically, the way it's described within the industry is that it is direct sales. So you can think of the Avon lady who comes in and, you know, rings your doorbell and she sells you in your home her product. So what the MLM industry likes to say is they've taken the middleman out of the process and that they spend their marketing dollars not on television or packaging or fancy sales at Nordstrom or wherever and have regular old consumers that are passionate about their products selling them. It's not dissimilar to the idea of a direct-to-consumer brand like a Warby Parker, except there's not a salesperson. Well, now they have stores, but I guess initially it was just you would buy directly from the website and not even through a salesperson. So what makes this multi-level? So the reason it is multi-level is that the distributors that are selling these products get to build their own, what they will term, teams. And every multi-level marketing business is different. But if we take a simple example, I join an MLM, then I recruit you and a friend, 
And then you and the friend recruit two people and so on and so on. And as that grows, I get to take a little bit of the profit from all of the sales that everyone in my downline would make. Got it. And so direct selling is almost like a misnomer because the way you're making money is not by necessarily selling the products themselves. It's by recruiting more people and it's just sort of like multiplying your ability to receive commission. Yeah, on basically. Sales. So you basically have two jobs. You have to sell product to people and simultaneously build up this sales force below you. And you can make money either by selling the product or by recruiting people into your sales force. Which is more lucrative. Oh, the recruitment by far. Because it's theoretically unlimited because people could continue to sell for as long as they live. You sound and like you a would, promoter. Would... <laughs> <laughs> and I should mention to those listening that you're a lawyer. So you come at this not just as a consumer watchdog, but also as an attorney who knows the law and specifically the law as it pertains to advertising and marketing. And so what's the problem with these organizations? What's the problem with the opportunity to make money from other people's money? Well, we need a lot of time for that question. There's a bunch of possible problems. One problem is that it may not be a multi-level marketing company. What you may be in is a pyramid scheme. What's the difference? The difference is we don't care about the product. We make all our money from recruiting. That the product is just a shield to make us look legit. But in reality, we're all going to work on recruiting more people and that's how we're going to make money. And when that line is crossed over to focus on recruitment, you're moving into the zone of a pyramid scheme. But even if the MLM stays on the correct side of the law and doesn't move over into pyramid scheme, the problem with so many of these MLMs or almost everyone that I've ever encountered is that they engage in deceptive marketing to lure consumers into this business opportunity. And consumers make little to no money and many lose money. And that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg because they've been recruiting their friends and family who are also going to lose money. And so there's a financial loss, there's emotional and social cost to this. And it can end up being a real disaster for people. People get angry, people get desperate, et cetera, et cetera. Does that happen in MLM beauty companies as well? Absolutely. Have you seen it happen? One of the ways that truth in advertising starts to investigate companies is by consumer tips and consumer complaints. And we have received many complaints about beauty MLMs in particular that are exploiting women and using deceptive marketing to lure them in and then ruining their lives. Can you give me some examples of a tip that you would get or that you did receive that resulted in some sort of action being taken against one of these businesses? Yeah. So let's start with an oldie but goodie. I think in 2014, we went after a company that had just started up an MLM for tweens and teen girls. And it was all about, you know, keeping their skin healthy and using sunscreen and, and those kind of things. But they had been in retail and then they were transitioning to a multi-level marketing company. 
And what we saw is that one, the cost of the products to the consumer skyrocketed and increased by like 64%. And additionally, they were making claims that the products were all natural, they were for sensitive skin, fragrance-free, and that was all misleading and incorrect. And the idea was that they were going to have these young women, you know, teenagers, investing at least $100 into this. And to clarify, that investment usually comes in the form of like a kit that they have to buy either to sell or to like acquaint themselves with the brand, right? Like their guidebook and their collateral. Yeah, exactly. And samples and that sort of thing. So they had to buy all these things. And then if you really did the math, these girls would have to sell at least $400 of product just to break even. And then when we went to the company and explained our findings, they really changed a lot. They obviously brought down a lot of the marketing claims that they were making and ultimately stopped trying to market MLM to these young girls. Is it just a bad look or is it illegal to do something like buy this thing for $100 You could eventually make enough money to buy a car, but as you discover, you actually actually sell $400 worth of products to break even. Like, What piece of that is actually illegal? So the illegal part comes in when multi-level marketing companies start trying to promote the business opportunity, for example, using what we'll call atypical income statements. So, you know, You can do this job part-time and make full-time pay. You can quit your job. You can stay home with your kids. Those would all be atypical income claims because the vast majority of distributors make little to no money. So anytime they're deceiving the consumer to promote the business opportunity, they're making illegal claims. But so let me give you an example. I mean, there's there's so much to unpack here. In the non-MLM beauty industry, I've never done this, but I've seen other brands do it, established brands. You could say, in a clinical study, 85% of participants saw better skin texture and tone after seven days, right? Mm-hmm. And 84% sounds like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like, I need to get this. There's an asterisk next to that number. And then in fine print at the bottom of that advertising, it says, out of a study of you know, 10 people, right? So that means that eight and a half people out of those 10 saw an improvement. Sure, eight out of 10 is great, but that's not a big enough study to prove anything other than these eight people had a good experience. So is that illegal? Because that's deceptive? You know, you've just like made a hypo that should be in a law school exam because you've hit upon quite a few potentially deceptive problems with your example. One, yes, to make a claim about a clinical trial, it has to be competent and reliable. As a general matter, tiny sampling size would mean that it isn't competent and reliable evidence from which you can base a marketing claim on. Secondly, if the fine print that you're describing is material to the consumers and they would want to know about it, then you can't have it in the fine print. It's got to be clear and conspicuous. So those companies that are doing that kind of thing could run into hot water for two reasons, not just one. And so in 
MLM though, I mean, I'm looking at some of the examples on your website and there's a Mary Kay post from 2019 that says you can be your own boss and earn extra money and rewards like a Caribbean cruise for two with a Mary Kay business. You deserve to love what you do. Start your Mary Kay journey today, all aboard. And this was a post on Instagram that the brand had promoted. And you know, as part of the efforts of Truth and Advertising, this was removed from Instagram. What's the problem there? It's not very specific. It's like you might be able to win a cruise. Because you can't win the cruise. Oh, you actually could not win the cruise. Well, you can only the exceptional, only the like 0.1% of Mary Kay distributors are going to win that cruise. And because of that, they're actually not allowed to say that because there is only maybe one person who's going to win it? Right. Because again, we're talking about the exceptional distributor versus the typical distributor. So if they're saying like, hey, join and you know, you might win a cruise, they need to tell you basically what the typical result will be. And the typical result will be, yeah, you're not going on that cruise. So let me play devil's advocate. Why is the onus on the brand? You know, if I read a post and it says you might be able to win a cruise and I'm okay, I'm going to sign up to be a Mary Kay consultant. I don't win the cruise. Isn't that my bad? Why is that the brand's bad? It is your bad and it's the brand's bad. And this applies, especially when we're talking about social media, to the influencer and the company. You're both on the hook, not just one or the other. What do you think it is about the beauty industry that makes it so ripe for the MLM model? Why does beauty see so many of these organizations, do you think? I think there's two main reasons. First, 74% of those involved in MLMs are women. So it makes sense to have products that appeal to women. And secondly, cosmetics are something that you need to purchase on a regular basis that you run out of. And that really fits well within the MLM model for having to continually purchase goods. So it's a nice fit for the industry. The 74% statistic, is that a recent statistic or is that a pretty consistent number? That's recent, but it's fairly consistent. The typical MLM distributor is an old white woman. (laughs) At this point, 83% are whites, 50% are over the age of 45, and 74% are women. So that's interesting too, because over the age of 45 would mean that you would have maybe young kids could be a stay-at-home mom. And the idea would be that you could make money on the side. That would be the big appeal is that you could raise your kids, but also contribute to the household income. Right. I think the popular phrase right now in the MLM industry is to be a present mom. So they're really going there. Oh, yeah, they're definitely going there. Mary Kay is all into that right now. So basically saying that like you can still be a good mom and make money. Yes, exactly. Be there for your kids, not abandon them. There's been a lot of talk recently in the beauty industry about Beauty Counter. Beauty Counter is a direct-to-consumer and MLM brand, so you can both buy it on the website or via a seller in your community. And part of their mission or their stated mission is to create greater government oversight of the cosmetics industry, particularly as it pertains to the safety of ingredients. They get lots of press about the founder going on Capitol Hill and trying to create these rules and regulations as it pertains to labeling and ingredients. 
So that is like the best PR. How is Beauty Counter running afoul? Agree with everything you said. You know, that's all well and good. But there's a dark side to Beauty Counter when we investigated the company. And what we found is that distributors in the company and even the CEO herself were making deceptive income claims. That the CEO, Greg Renfrew, was making outrageous income claims tying it to the suffering of the pandemic, telling distributors and people in the Latinx community that they could pay the mortgage if they became distributors of Beauty Counter or, you know, help their families replace their income from jobs they had lost. And when you looked at their income disclosure statement, that just wasn't the true reality of it. That wasn't going to be happening. So when you receive, whether it's a tip or you see a social media post or however you at Truth and Advertising come upon this information, what's your course of action? We are a small organization, so we can't look at everything all the time. We do keep a list on our site called Tina's List of MLMs that we've been tipped off about and that are on our list to investigate. Beauty Counter was definitely one of them. We received multiple consumer complaints about their business opportunity marketing. In this case, with Beauty Counter, we didn't really look at their cosmetic claims. I think they say we have a no list of 1,800 ingredients. Obviously, you could make that list 3,000 ingredients. Of course, because you could say like there's no popcorn in in it. Right. We don't put dogs and popcorn. Yeah. Yeah. But we didn't focus on that. What we really focused on was where Beauty Counter was crossing the line and we felt exploiting susceptible consumers because there is all this positivity surrounding it. And unfortunately, a lot of the media isn't looking at the dark side of beauty counter. So we felt it was really important to expose that deceptive business opportunity marketing that was going on. So how do you expose it besides putting it on the website? We do videos that we put on YouTube. We will engage consumers on social media platforms. We put out press releases. We will let reporters that are specialists in that area or interested know about what we're doing. But you guys as an organization don't bring lawsuits or any kind of legal actions yourselves against these companies. That's correct. We never go out and try and get money back or sue them directly. But what we did with Beauty Counter and what we do as a general matter is we went right to the company and we said, hey, you're violating the law. You need to stop it. And they basically sort of blew us off. So at that point, we went to the direct selling group's self-regulatory body. Meaning like all direct selling companies have a regulatory body? There is a self-regulatory body within the MLM industry. It's fairly new. And which also sounds like an oxymoron to have a (laughs) self-regulating regulatory Yeah, exactly. It's fairly new. And it's unfortunate that an industry has to have this, but there are so many MLMs violating the law with deceptive health and income claims all the time that this group is very busy all the time. So we filed a complaint with them, the DSSRC, and with their help, Beauty Counter really had to take down a lot of their social media posts. They had to change their website and how they were marketing And they also modified their income disclosure statement. Without 
putting you too much on the spot. What do you imagine motivates a company like Beauty Counter to pursue this model and make these claims that can be pretty damaging? I personally think it boils down to one thing, money. It's all about the money. Greg Renfrew doesn't have to sell beauty products to advocate for clean beauty. And she doesn't have to use the MLM model to sell her products. But she's chosen to do that, which is all well and good. But she absolutely crossed the line and engaged in deceptive marketing when it came to the business opportunity. In fact, we had on our website one of her Instagram posts where she said that she thought one of the best products that Beauty Counter had was its business opportunity. That's just ridiculous because the vast majority of beauty counter distributors are making little to no money. And to clarify, the reason you know that is because companies like Beauty Counter have to publish annual reports, or do they have to publish them? Or how do you find this information? I know that I've seen some annual reports on websites, but how do you go about finding that information? In the United States, MLM companies do not have to tell us how much their distributors are making. They're not required to. In other countries like Canada, they are required. But some MLM companies will put out an income disclosure statement on a yearly basis. I think a lot of times they use it for cover to be able to say, oh, we are disclosing exactly how much our distributors are making. And they're very confusing and tough to figure out. You really do need expertise to be able to pull out the relevant parts. So Beauty Counter voluntarily put together. He's publishing that information. Yeah. With the thought that no one actually would be able to really translate it into English. Right. And I think for some distributors, they look at these disclosure statements and they'll be able to say like, wow, one person is making six figures. Cool. That could be me. Just so that we can ensure a fair and balanced report. If I went to Beauty Counter or Mary Kay or... Avon and said, what do you guys think of truth in advertising? <laughs> like, what are they motivated by? What's their, what's, what would you imagine they would say? Publicly, I think that they would say that they champion transparency and truth in advertising and that they will always take seriously any complaint they receive and ensure that they are always following the law. That would be my guess. That's a pretty good PR, legal PR statement. We hear it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> what does motivate truth in advertising besides the greater good? Like, I know you have one major source of funds, but it doesn't seem to be like that where the funds are coming from are like a competing beauty company or something that would be very clearly a conflict of interest. That's true. Truth in advertising was started or the idea was from a gentleman in law school when he realized that the Federal Trade Commission didn't have the resources or the tools to really deal with deceptive advertising. And he watched a lot of Fox News, and he was very frustrated with the amount of deceptive advertising he was seeing. And then with the advent of the internet and social media platforms, he thought it would be a great time to start Truth in Advertising. And that's how it basically came to be. We have no alternative motive. We're just really trying to ensure that consumers are not scammed out of their hard-earned money. So 
when you go to work every day and you weed through the claims and you do your own research, you're not bringing lawsuits as we discussed. What victories do you have either at the end of every day or every week or every month that make it worthwhile for you that fill up your tank so that you can continue on? Because like Beauty Counter just takes down the post and moves on. They don't give a shit, right? Well, I think it does impact their future marketing. And I'm sure that every time Greg Renfrew opens her mouth to talk about the business opportunity, she's got Tina.org screaming in the back of her head. And we have been very impactful, especially in the multi-level marketing industry. We've brought down thousands and thousands of claims. We filed complaints with the Federal Trade Commission. And in at least two instances, the FTC has gone after MLMs in one case They've already closed a pyramid scheme, and right now they have another case against another alleged pyramid scheme based on our work. There's such thing as a good MLM. Are there any of these businesses that you would say like, oh, yeah, if you want to do that one, that one checks out. They're pretty clean. In my mind, I can come up with a theoretically good MLM, but to date, when we've done industry-wide investigations... The vast majority, I'm talking in the high 90 percentile, are engaged in deceptive marketing with health and income claims. So from our research to date, we've yet to find a good MLM in reality. I'm trying to sort of put myself in the shoes. The fact that they're making deceptive income claims does not mean there are bad people in the company. It means that they made a deceptive income claim. But I'm just, I'm trying to see if I can rationalize the sort of... I can't, really. Well, I can do it for you. I can help you out here. I think you can relate to this. You're a mom or dad. You've just had a new baby. And I you don't one. want... I know. And you don't want to leave <laughs> them. You do not want to go back to work. And your friend comes to you and says, I know a way you can stay with your baby. And you can work part-time and you can make full-time money. And not only that, but this product is going to help people. It's going to treat eczema and, you know, do away with psoriasis. It's a miracle. And actually, the founder of the company is going to Capitol Hill to make cosmetics safer. Right. And all the women with breast cancer are going to be helped. So not only do you get to stay home with your baby make great money, but you're going to be changing the world at the same time. How can you say no to that? Right. It comes down to like, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah, that's great advice. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right. Rule for life. Across the board. Yeah, that's a good rule. And so if people have complaints or have experiences that they want to you know, send in to Tina, how do they do that? Well, they can just go to tina.org or truthandadvertising.org and file a complaint or place a comment or reach out to us on social media platforms, whatever's easiest for them. We'd love to hear from consumers. That's where most of our work is in helping consumers and and investigating their claims. And I know you have a big memo. We're going to be sending a letter to the FTC asking them to put all MLMs that are operating in the United States on notice 
even though they probably mostly know this anyway, that making deceptive income claims and deceptive health claims is illegal. And there's a lot of sort of legal mumbo jumbo that's needed. But if the FTC puts all these companies and gives them this actual notice, then in the future, when these companies engage in deceptive marketing with regard to health and income claims, they can be fined basically approximately $44,000 per violation. So we're going to encourage the Federal Trade Commission to do just that. That sounds like that could result in a lot of fines because you're not just looking at marketing materials, you're looking at literal Instagram posts and tweets and things that these companies are churning out every single day. Absolutely. And to date, we found nothing's worked, right? Even lawyers that work for the MLM industry have admitted that the industry just cannot keep distributors from violating the law. So we want to provide a deterrent for these companies. I bet you have had your fair share of very tough email and phone conversations with angry business people. It has happened. But you know, prior to this, I was a litigator for almost 20 years. So it doesn't really bother me, you know, when like my pillow guy, Mike Lindell calls and says he's going to sue me. You know, I'm just like, bring it on. It's all good. (laughs) See you in court. Yeah, exactly. So my product this week, I had been wanting to order from this brand for a long time because I don't know, maybe I'm just like um, a fish that's attracted to shiny things. And in this case, it would be multidimensional shimmered neon nail polish. But the brand is called Cirque Colors, C-I-R. Q-U-E. And they are actually, come to find out, made in Brooklyn, nearby where I am currently. And I actually had no idea until I saw the return label. And they make nail polish. That's what they do. That's their thing. And the colors are just so different. And the colors are just like really great. It's, I, I don't know what else to Can say. be more specific? They're very bright. They do a lot of neons, but it's not just your average neon. It's they really layer it in with, do you see, Nick? Yeah. With oh, like cool. some like shimmer. Like The reason that there's so many pressed eyeshadow palettes is because arguably you can get a lot of different nuances in the size of the pearl, which is like the shimmer speckles in the formula or like how matte it is. There's so much nuance that you can get out of a pressed powder. I feel the same can be said about nail polish and Cirque obviously gets that. I ordered 23 shades. <laughs> it was How much what did that set you back? Honestly, Nick, like I couldn't stop. I was just, I couldn't choose. How do you choose? I don't know. It's hard, I guess. I asked them to send me the products for free, which I don't normally do. They wouldn't do it, which I respect. <laughs> There you go. So yes, I did buy these. Anyway, the shade that I chose just to demonstrate in our little call that we have is called Flamingo. And it is a really, really, really hot pink with a lavender hue in the highlight and then some like tiny multicolored speckled glitter pieces in it. I don't know. It's just chic. It looks good on your toes. No, like you wouldn't expect me to be like a a, neon. How much is a bottle? Yeah, I wouldn't think so. But I don't know. Something came over me. I think maybe it's just because I've been so like my normal nail polish colors have been for my toes have been either school bus yellow or silver. I just feel like they go with everything. 
but now today I have, do you see? Beautiful. They're like mint green. But pearlized mint green. Very cute. Love it. So they're around $14 a bottle. Also, the nail polishes are tin-free, which is the healthier alternative to a more traditional nail polish formula. Or so we've been told. Or so we've been told. And yeah, they're just doing interesting stuff. They have shades where they have like a magnet involved where it can have like the specks like form like weird patterns because you hold a magnet over them. Oh and you my get that God, weird. That's cool. You get like a really cool like 3D effect, almost like you have little gemstones on your nails. They have nail polish that changes with like heat, the color, you know, like those t shirts where you would like breathe on them and they <laughs> the the ink like turns colors yeah, yeah, that you yeah. get on vacation. So yeah, they have all sorts of fun stuff happening. Cirque colors, baby. What do you have? My product of the week this week is actually a product line that an old friend of mine created. It's a baby skincare brand called Paloroma. And it was created by Jane Keltner DeValley and her husband Giancarlo Valley. And it's basically fragrance-free skincare packaged in this really chic cream and robin's egg blue packaging. I've been using the all over soap on Evie since basically she was born on her hair, on her body. And they have a really beautiful unscented baby cream that I've been giving her a little massage every night after the bath with. And the products are just, they're chic AF. And you can buy them on paloroma.com. And actually this week. I think they just launched two new products. One is a hand wash and one is a hand lotion. You can get the full kit, which is the body wash, really pretty soap and the cream for $75. And it comes in a beautiful box. It's like a perfect present for someone who's just having a baby. And like the products are really, really, really good. And I'm not just saying that because I know Jane. I think they're legit good products. I actually waited a while before I even talked about it because I wanted to make sure I liked them. But yeah, it's just cute. They're cute. And like with baby stuff, so much of baby stuff is ugly and an eyesore, especially the stuff that babies love the most is like the ugliest, most loud thing. (laughs) And I know it's like the most annoying thing about babies. But Paloroma is like really pretty to have in your baby's bathtub area. I'm into it. Paloroma.com. Meanwhile, Evie's like, oh, I just want, <laughs> I just want my Mr. Bubbles. She's like, I want Fisher Price. <laughs> like, I want Kylie skin. <laughs> Rise and shine. And with that, we bid you adieu. Eyewitness Beauty is, as always, produced by Jespin Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our theme music is by Danny Prezant, and our cover art was designed by Simon Abronowitz. You can follow us on Instagram at Eyewitness Beauty, and you can email us at hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com. If you are on Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our show. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode, which will be a week late, but not a moment too soon. A Q&A episode to celebrate our one year of Eyewitness Beauty. So we will see you then with bells on. Go to sleep, rise and shine. <laughs>